he had changed the face of society simply by the method of his preaching. And his sermons were very simple. Go back and listen to them. He preached the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the cross of Jesus, and that's about all he preached. And everywhere he went, thousands would gather to hear him preach. They estimate, oh, I forget how many millions of people had heard that man in his lifetime preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, there's nothing greater than the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our hope. It is, it is, our, it is our eternity that we look forward to because of that gospel. Some men are by nature endowed with human talent and they're born to be leaders, no doubt about it. They can organize well and lead others. They can succeed in the business world. They can build empires. They can construct skyscrapers and do all these magnificent things. But when it comes to God and the supernatural, they find great difficulty in obtaining believing faith. And as a whole, that great noble men, renowned men, seemed to want to hold to the wisdom of this old world. And I don't know why. But it was the Apostle Paul that reminded us as a church what really is important. He starts out in verse 17. He says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us that is saved, it is the power of Almighty God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching then to save them that believe. And then when you go on and read the rest of that chapter, I don't want to be long, but I do want to preach the word today. He said, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For yet you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, mighty, not many noble are even called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound them that are wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound them which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to not the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. When you look into the scripture, it was just common fishermen like Peter, common farmers like the prophet Elisha, common men like Brother Wrigley that I know who has a third grade education that goes around and preaches the gospel and they turn the world upside down through the anointing of the preaching of the word of God. Matter of fact, I was saved at the age of seven under a man by the name of Sammy Lyons. He was our pastor and that man, I just found this out just a few other days. I said, I never knew that. When we were talking about him dying here a few years ago, his name was mentioned and the people that knew him said, you do know he had no education. I said, I had no idea. He was a man that pastored our church at Dudley and then worked on the sawmill throughout the week. All week he worked in a sawmill and he was a man of simple, a, a simple man, a man of simplicity. He would get up though and when he would open his mouth, he would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may have not been deep. It may have not been maybe uh, all articulate like some preachers. He was just an old country boy. But let me tell you something. At the age of seven, one day during his preaching, the Holy Ghost moved upon him. He began to speak with other tongues and the Holy Ghost come down.
down in that room and he gripped our hearts. All of us young people, about 17 of us, jumped up and ran to an altar and gave our heart and life to Jesus Christ as a result of the anointing of the preaching of the word of Almighty God. Can you give God praise for the word of God here today? Amen. We must not confuse earthly power, human power, and the power of speech and the power of persuasion with the power of preaching. We must not confuse charisma with dudamus. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's a difference with a man having charisma and a man having the anointing that's inspired by the word of the Lord. There's power. The power is there's power in the word. There is a basic, essential, divine power in preaching itself. There is power. This power is of a supernatural origin. It is present with or without the human factor. It is present with or without popularity. It is present with or without the fancy trimmings. And it is present with or without acceptance or acclaim. I don't care if you agree with what I preach. I don't care if you like what I preach. I want to tell you, as long as I preach the word of God, there's power. There's life. It don't have to be popular. It don't have to fill the masses all it's got to do is open itself up and be declared. And when it's declared, the life-giving power of the word goes out over a people. Can I have an amen? The real power of preaching does not reside in men and it does not redound to the human praise. This is not to say that human talent is no value in the life of a minister or in the life of us as Christian or the life of us that are laity in the church. This is not to imply that training and education or any number of obvious individual characteristics will not contribute to the overall success of what the church is attempting to do. But it is simply implying that aside from the human element, away from the training, away from the education, in spite of the strength or the weakness of that instrument in which is given it, real preaching retains a power of its own because there's simply power in the word of God. Can I have an amen? There are actually three elements that combine to produce the power of preaching. There's the Word, there's the Holy Spirit, and then there's the interaction between the preacher and the, the pulpit and the, and the audience. The foundational power of preaching resides in the Word of God itself. This power is inherent in the Word. It is a power no human effort can remove and no demonic influence can defeat. I want to tell you, if I preach the philosophies of the men, I'll fail miserably. If I get up and preach fables, I will fail miserably. But if I preach the word of God, it'll settle us on a firm foundation that's solid that no demonic can remove, no demonic can come against it, no demonic can destroy it. I'm here to tell you there's power in the word of Almighty God. Can I have an amen? Somebody ought to give the Lord praise in this house. Hallelujah. Woo! Power resides in the word because God's word is produced by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 1 and 21, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but by holy men of God spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. 
The word is alive because it's God breathed. It's God spoken and it's God inspired. Hallelujah. Jesus said in John 6 and 63, my wife uses scripture. It is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh, profiteth nothing, but the words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Whether you know it or not, it may not be relevant to you right this very minute. You may not feel it right at this very minute, but as I preach this word, life is going out over this congregation. As I speak resurrection power is going on over this congregation. As I speak this word, demons are trembling and demons are fearful because it's the spoken word of God. Hallelujah. The church must preach the word. The church must contend the word. The church must teach the word. The church must be church word oriented. Can I have an amen? The saints must preach, share, witness the word to have results. How many wants results? Then get in the word. The results is in the word. The church that would preach and have power in it, in its preaching must believe with all of the heart that the Bible is the word of God. How many believe the Bible is the word of God, inspired of God, God breathed, amen? How many believe the word of God is infallible, eternal, hallelujah? Matter of fact, we got to believe that it's inspired of God. It is God breathed. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul told Timothy, all scripture, say all scripture, is given by inspiration of God. Not just some of it, all of it. You can't pick and choose. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. The term interpreted here as inspiration, it, it actually denotes a forcible respiration, life-giving, what you would call life-giving power. It's almost like doing a, a, when someone passes away and you do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. That's what the Word of God does to a dead corpse and a dead body. It's a forcible respiration. God breathed. Jesus breathed upon them and said, receive you. It's a breath of God. Can I have an amen? It's a strong conscience in breathing. Matter of fact, it's actually God speaking through men. Every time somebody gets up behind this pulpit or any pulpit or in a Sunday school class behind a desk, every time they preach the word or teach the word, it's God speaking through that individual. The Bible is the word of God just as much as God spoke every single word of it with his own lips. And when I get up here and preach, as long as I preach the word, it's not me speaking, it's God speaking. Everybody wants to say, I want to hear from God, then open your word. Everybody wants a word, a rhema word, they're running to try to get some preacher to tell them something. You want to know what God's saying? Open your Bible. Get into your Bible. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And God will speak to you through the word. Can I have an amen? The Bible's not founded on argument. It's not justified by logic. Though logic, its logic is very obvious. The Bible is a series of messages by witnesses who spoke, as the, who spoke with the authority of the Holy Spirit. When men look to the Bible as the word of God, they marvel at its unity. They don't understand it. The Bible contains one system of doctrine from cover to cover. Always its doctrine is consistent. The Bible never contradicts itself one time. If you think it contradicts yourself, you're not understanding the scripture correctly. Such unity is impossible if one views the Bible as just a mere human book. I want you to know the Bible was written by 36 to 40 authors. Their composition spread over a period of 1,500 years. These writers came from all classes of society, and yet the word, when it was come together and compiled, it blended into unity. 
Can you believe that? Over a 15-year span, written by 36 to 40 different men, and yet when it finally come together, it all complemented and bared witness of each other. As it stands today, the Bible is literally a miracle. Everybody says, show me a miracle. Pick up your Bible. It's a miracle. Come on, somebody. I don't have time to preach everything on this. This can be explained only by the fact that there was one author that was behind many authors. Hallelujah. The author of the Bible is not Peter. The author and the authority of the Bible is not Paul, though they were great men. It's not Elijah, and it's not, it's not any one of the great men of old. The author of the Bible is God himself. Can I have an amen? The author of the Bible is the Holy Ghost, as he inspired men to write the Scripture, and he breathed upon them and inspired them to do it. Amen? It was one spirit and inspiring many writers. When the word of God increases in our pulpits, in our homes, and in our family, in our workplaces, then the number of disciples will multiply like it did in the early church. Great companies of men and women will turn to the faith and many people will be added to the church if we'll just open up the scripture and let the scripture speak for itself. Don't make apology for the scripture. Don't cut part of the scripture out because you're afraid to be offensive. Come on, somebody. John chapter 1 verse 12 and 13 reminds us, but as many as, but as, many as received him to gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe upon his name, which were born not after blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but were born by the word of God. I want you to know the word is the agent in which you and I are saved by. Without the word, we cannot be saved. It is the word that convicts. It is the word that corrects. It is the word that pushes down the heavy load of, of conviction upon our lives. First Peter 1 and 23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. You take the word out and men and women cannot be saved. Without the word, there's no knowledge of transgression. Come on, somebody. No wonder Paul said to young Timothy, I'm about to preach. I'm feeling it kicking third gear about right now, folks. Paul said this and said, ha. Woo, I feel that, that doodad's going up and down my spine right now. Hallelujah. Somebody lift your hand and praise him while I get over this spell I'm having right now. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. I love the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Paul told Timothy, I charge ye therefore before God for the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Paul understood the word was quick, that it was powerful, that it was alive, that it was energizing. Listen to Hebrews 4 and 12. You want a church that can be energized? Then preach the word. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and of spirit and of the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Paul also understood that the word would not return void, but it would accomplish that that God sent it out to do. As I get to preach this message today, I want you to know everything that God wants to see come to pass as a result of the word preached, it will come to pass. 
hell can't stop it. You can't stop it. I can't stop it. I want to tell you, when God decrees and when God declares it, when God speaks, it shall be done. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 and 11, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper the thing which I send it to do. How many knows that there's prosperity in the word? He said, if I speak to a, if I speak to a famine, it'll bring refreshing rain. If I speak to a desert, it'll blossom. Can I have an amen? Everything that God speaks, it brings life to. There's life giving love flowing, love flowing and forgiveness in the word of God. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. Paul knew the word. Yes, give him praise. It's all right. God, Paul knew that the word would turn men from darkness to light. He knew that it would turn men from the power of Satan into God. The ministry and the laity of this day need to stay in the word. Can I have an amen? When this is done, the church will not reap the, the fruit of human labors. We've, we've, we've reaped the fruit of human labors. But we need to we reap the fruit of what the word of God can bring forth. Amen. The power of God's word transcends the centuries. The real power of preaching, the inherent foundational power of preaching rests forever in the word itself. Historically, the New Testament church began with Christ when he gave himself upon Calvary, purchasing the church with his own blood. In the same historical sense, God's word existed before the church. We got it backwards sometimes. The word was given to the church as a guide for its operation. It was given as a message for its members. It was given as a standard for its doctrines and as a medium for our experiences. If you have an experience with God, make sure that it does not violate or contradict Scripture. For if it does, your experience is, is a deceptive tool destroying you. Never will God ever allow anything to happen to you or speak to you in any form of way that will contradict the word. I hear people say all the time, well, I don't care what the word says. I know what I feel. Your feeling is wrong and the word is right. Let God be true and every man a liar. Can I have an amen? The church is not the Lord of the scripture because the church did not make the scripture. We can't twist it. We can't change it. We can't alter it to fit our little theology. Amen. The word changes us instead of us trying to change the word so we can fit it into our culture. Amen. That's why that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 36, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you? He said, you're not the one that brought forth the word. It was the word that brought you forth. Come on, somebody. The word didn't come out of you. You came out of the word. You came out as a result of the word. You were born again because of the word. Everybody talks about, oh, well, why does everybody have to get, why, why preach certain things? You know, the, the Bible is outdated. The Bible is not outdated. Come on, somebody. Everybody talks about the law and how strenuous it was. Well, I want to tell you, I hate to tell you this, but there's more accountability and grace. There's more strenuous restrictions on grace than there is the law. Everybody says, oh, you're crazy. What are you talking about? In the Old Testament, under the law, the Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Under the New Testament of grace, it says, if a man will just look upon a woman to lust, he's committed adultery. Under the law, thou shalt not murder. Under grace, if you abhorred anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. Which is more strenuous? Come on, somebody. 
We can't water it down. We can't pollute it just to fit our little fancies and come in here and preach a little bit of philosophy and a little bit of fables and tickle each other's fancies. In the last days, there'll be people given to heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and they'll have want teachers with itching ears. Just give us what we want to hear. And if you'll give us what we want to hear, you can have a big congregation. I'd rather preach to five men that'll hear the word of God than 10,000 that want their ears scratched. Can somebody say amen? God help me preach. I hope I can get done with this. The church was birthed and shaped by the word and it can only exist and maintain its vitality as it abides and operates according to the commandments and the doctrines of the word. Amen. Jesus placed the word in its proper perspective in his life and in his ministry. He was prolific in his use of scriptures, in his teaching and preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Amen. He was sent to preach the gospel to the poor. Come on, somebody. He was sent to preach to the captives, the recovering of sight. He preached out of the five things that were said. He was done it to preach, to preach, to preach. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, it says, In beginning at Moses and all, to, all the way through the prophets, Jesus expounded unto them in all the scriptures the thing concerning himself. What was Jesus' message? It was the word. And matter of fact, Jesus was the word. John chapter 1. Jesus even called upon his hearers to search the word. Listen to what he said in John 5 and 39. Search the scriptures for them. You think you have eternal life? And they are they which testify of me. He said, search the scriptures. In them you'll find eternal life because they testify of me. Amen? The Bible says that Jesus spoke as one having authority and he used the scriptures to substantiate that authority. His authority came from the word itself. And matter of fact, According to John 10 and 35, the scripture cannot be broken. The word of God is what we judge all things by. Amen? The word is eternal. It'll never pass away. How many knows that? What I'm preaching to is eternal word. Men have tried to silence it. Cultures have tried to stomp it out. There's whole nations that try to push it out and reject it. But yet everywhere they tried in the New Testament, it said when the persecution came upon the saints, what happened? This Bible says, and they were scattered, and the word of God increased, and the saints multiplied. Can I have an amen? They've tried to stop the word of God for years, but I've got news. I got news for all of these communist countries that's trying to shut down churches and shut the mouths of preachers and shut the mouths of evangelists and shut the mouths of Christians by beheading them and causing them to become martyrs. I've got news for them. They can do all that they want to do, but the word of God lives eternally and it will not shut up, but it shall ever speak. Can I have an amen? Matthew 24 and 35 says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Psalmist said in Psalms 119 and 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Isaiah 40 and 8 says, The grass wither and the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. Matthew 5 and 18 says, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, not one jot, not one tittle, not one question mark, not one comma, shall pass away from the law till all things be fulfilled. First Peter chapter 1 verse 25 says but the word of the Lord endureth forever and this is the word which is the gospel that's preached unto you and Jesus said that the rapture of the church cannot happen until the word be preached around the world and to all ears hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise. Amen. The word of God is eternal and it will not pass away. It will abide forever. This is why the Jesus repeatedly said it is written. Jesus preached the word during the test of his temptation. Don't have time to go into it. Go to Matthew chapter 4 and read about it. 
When he went into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days and for 40 nights and every temptation the devil gave to him, he overcome it and combated it by saying, it is written. It is written. You're trying to get me to do something that goes against scripture, but it is written. It is written. He knew the word. And because of the word, he was able to endure. Jesus knew the power of the word and the devil could not stand against it. That's why the Bible says man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Look in the book of Acts and see the relationship between the New Testament church and the word. Just look at it. It'll convict us. First of all, in Acts 2 and 41 says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Aren't you glad for people that received the word? Then they obeyed and they went out and was baptized. I don't know why. It just kind of hit me. There's kind of a false teaching that's going around in our area and it's, it's gaining ground, it seems like. It's not a new teaching. It's an old teaching. But everywhere I go, I'm beginning here. I don't know where it's originated from. I don't know who's the influence behind it. But there's a preaching going around right now that uh, you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus in order to be saved. And they're saying, oh, you know, when you're baptized in the name of Jesus, that's when the blood of Jesus is applied to you. That's when you're truly saved. First of all, do not buy into that doctrine. It is heresy. It is not true. Come on, somebody. Paul began to even declare it. This is how you know sound doctrine by the basis of the word. It was the apostle Paul that said baptism didn't save because Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel lest the cross be of none effect. The Bible even says that Christ himself baptized no man. If baptism is so important, why didn't Christ? Now, baptism is important, and we should follow along in obedience and do it according to the command. But man is born again when he hears the word of God and he confesses his sin and he accepts by his believing faith in hearing about Jesus Christ that he is the son of God, that he's the savior of the world, and upon hearing that and believing that and confessing that, he's saved. It's that simple. How do I know Romans 10, 9 and 10? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. With, for the heart, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. It's that simple. In Acts chapter 10, we see a beautiful picture of how that we can correct doctrine, especially this that's going around in our land right now. And it's serious. Everybody says, well, why do you want to split hairs over that? I want to tell you, it's serious when you get out of sound doctrine. Is that not right? Oh, I want to preach right here. In Acts chapter 10, we see without a shadow of a doubt that Peter, because he, had a tra- he fell in a trance and had a vision, and him being a Jew was not able to be around the Gentiles because they were considered dogs and they thought that the gospel was only given to them as Jewish people and as a Jewish nation. And in that trance, God sent him down to Cornelius' household, the Gentiles, to preach the gospel to them, unheard of. Peter goes down there after that trend, and the Bible says that Peter opened up and began to preach to them about Jesus. And he preached a sermon about Jesus, and it says, uh, and then it says and that all of a sudden that the Spirit of God fell upon them that heard the word, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they began to speak with tongues, and they magnified God. And all of a sudden, the Jews that were with Peter were astonished and they said to one another they said how can this be how can do we forbid them water seeing that they have received the same like gift as we have in other words we've heard them speak with tongues we've seen it with our own eyes that these people were baptized in the Holy Ghost he said now do we 
forbid them to get baptized? In other words, to say you have to be baptized before you can be saved, then it's possible to be filled with the Holy Ghost before you ever got saved. That's ludicrous, my friend. Can I have an amen? Water baptism does not save a man. It is an outward witness of the inner work of what Jesus done. Can I say amen? Matter of fact, 1 Peter 3 and 21 says, The light figure, wherein even too does now baptism even save us, not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but with a good conscience toward God and to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter said? He said, Water baptism doesn't wipe away your sin. Water baptism does apply the blood. It's not the cleansing of the filth of the flesh, but it's a light figure of the resurrection of Jesus. Hallelujah. And you are symbolizing that when you came to Jesus and gave your life to him, by one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, by one spirit where we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and we've all been made to drink of that same spiritual drink. In other words, what that is saying is when you came and gave your life to Jesus Christ, a man did not baptize you. It's not by human element that you have to have in order to be saved. There is no human element that you have to have in order to get saved. It's by the spirit. He takes your dead spirit that's dead and trespasses and sin and by the spirit of the living God he baptizes you in the body of Christ emerges you in the blood and through the work of regeneration you are saved thank God that we don't have to hunt someone down to get saved so they can put us in some water somewhere everybody says why is that so important because Jesus gave us the command of how to be baptized and the Great Commission. Am I staying too long there? I'm just on a rabbit trail right now. Let me preach. All power is given me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to deserve all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always even to the end of the world. That's the mode of baptism. But yet, all these other scriptures, which says they baptized in the name of Jesus, they don't understand those scriptures. They've not schooled themselves to the understanding of those scriptures. It's no different than me saying in the name of Jesus might be healed. In the name of Jesus go preach. In the name of Jesus, it's the command. It's the command. In the name of Jesus be baptized. It's not the mode of baptism. It's the command. Can I have an amen? Let's get off of that. Acts 4 and 4. How be it many of them which heard the word believed. You can't even believe without hearing the word. Faith coming by hearing and hearing the word of God. You can't even have faith without the word. You got to have something to believe in. The source of our faith is the word. Amen. Look at the, again, the relationship between the New Testament church and the word. I'll just go through them real fast. Acts 4 and 29. This is the early church. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. Grant unto thy servants, they say, that with all boldness that we may speak thy word. In the middle of persecution, in the middle of being martyred, in the middle of imprisonments and beatings and whippings and scourgings, God, give us boldness that we'll preach. We're not going to back down. We're not changing it to fit their fancies. Come on. Acts 6 and 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Acts 6 and 7. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Look at Acts 8 and 4. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. 
Look at Acts 8 and 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John. Are you seeing what's going on in the early church? Acts 10 and 44, while Peter yet spank these words, just preached on that, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Acts 12 and 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Acts 13 and 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Acts 15 and 35, Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Acts 18 and 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I like at one and Paul in the book of Acts. And he preached until midnight. And Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. Paul went up and resurrected him. Can I tell you, I might preach till midnight right here this morning, so help me God. Amen. Acts 19 and 20, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Look at Acts 20 and 32. And now, brethren, I command you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them that are sanctified. The word of God builds you up and gives you inheritance among the sanctified. Can I have an amen? The book of Acts reveals to us that the early church was Christ-centered, spirit-dominated, and it was word-based. All the members were continually preaching the word of God, honoring the word of God, teaching the word of God, explaining the word of God, witnessing the word of God. The word of God constituted the message and it became the authority for the claims of the church. The word of God was the source of all preaching and all teaching. Everything they'd done had the word in it. It was the standard of all doctrine. It was the medium to validate their experiences. This is why the Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel because it's the gospel that trieth the hearts. It's the gospel that keeps us in line. Amen. I, how many get convicted when you read the word? Those of you that ain't raising your hand, you're not reading the word because you read the word, you're going to get convicted. Amen. In order to be able to preach and proclaim and teach the word, we as a church must be acquainted with the word. We must meditate upon the word. We must assimilate the word. We must allow the word to be every part of our life. We must have the same attitude of Job. In Job 23 and 12, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He said, I want to eat the word of God, read the word of God, study the word of God more than I eat steak. Lord, how many, how many of us can say that? Have you ever had cravings? I get them all the time. I had one last night, and I wore my couch. A couch that should last about 10 years got about halfway wore out last night. Just me wrestling because of the crave. Come on, somebody. That, that, you know what I hear? My, my, my refrigerator is possessed. It says, kid, come over hither. Amen? Have you ever had a craving for something that was just a driving force? You can't wait till you get to eat it. That's how Job said about the word of God. We must follow the example of David when he said in Psalms 19:11, for I've hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As a deer panteth after the water brooks, even though I panteth after your word, O Lord. We must follow the command of 2 Timothy 2:15, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We almost must accept the charge of 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 15 that Paul gave to young Timothy. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You know what? We'll read the next verse, but we never put verse 13 in with it. 
The next verse says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given to thee by prophecy, by the laying on of your hands of the presbytery. But meditate upon these things and give yourself wholly to them, that they may profit, that thy prophet may appear unto all. Now listen, this is what we as Pentecostals want to do. Hey, don't neglect the gift that's in with you. Stir up that gift that's inside you. We're always talking about it in a spiritual sense. We're talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He does tell us that. But what did he say in the verse before that? Till I come, give yourself attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. In other words, it can't just be spiritual experiences because your spiritual experience has got to arrive and derive from out of the Word. You'll have no spiritual experiences where there's no Word. I remember one time, Brother White, our dis, my pastor, who was a district overseer, was at Walmart at Dexter, I believe it was. One of the members from one of the churches on the district said, oh, Brother White, we're in revival. He said, man, you are. He's all excited. He said, we ain't had no preaching in eight weeks. He said, man, we've just been shouting and dancing, and people are just having a, a time in the Lord. He said, really? And so the next Sunday morning, he ended up on the doorstep of that church and walked in and said, Pastor, you're not preaching today. I'm preaching. And he got up and he said, some of you haven't had, said you ain't had preaching in eight weeks. Well, you're going to have preaching today. And he got up and he preached the word of God. You know why he understood that all that flood, you can't have revival without the word. You can't have experiences without the word. There's nothing more than shallow emotion. Come on, somebody. Something's got to substantiate your experience. The word will not make you come to shame. It'll prosper in everything that it's sent out to do. And too often we find ourselves serving tables rather than preaching the word. And I refuse to do that. We try to fix everything relationally rather than spiritually. We swat at gnats. We chase flies. We grease squeaky wheels. And we, we put out fires as pastor. And we react to all the distractions in the church. And a lot of times we'll spend all of our time dealing with the small frigorous matters. And we end up having no time to study. And there becomes a famine in the church as a result of us trying to fix everything within our human effort. Amen. The church of today deals in, with abstracts. They chase the fads and they try to become relative to the world. We preach our own philosophies and we become friendly sensitive to the seeker and we dare not want to offend anybody with the message that we preach or we might lose some folks. Well, let me tell you, folks, if you can't get them saved by the preaching of the word, there is no other way to be saved. Can I have an Amen. I'm not going to water down the gospel to keep a congregation. Our culture don't need somebody that don't believe in what they're preaching. The other day, somebody I said, man, you're awful hard on this stuff about this baptism stuff because I was preaching. I, I've had a belly full of it. And somebody said, does it really matter? And I said, yeah, it matters. Well, why don't you just baptize in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and in Jesus' name? I said, because that ain't what God told me to do. you got to know what you believe. And you got to know why you believe it. And then it's got to be a conviction that gets a hold of your heart. And you don't de deviate from it to the right or to the left. Why? James said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. The word of God will stabilize the steps of a righteous man. Can I have an amen? There's power in the word of God. I'm going to have to quit preaching. I'm going to have to get off my notes or we'll be here till midnight. I tell you, there's power in the word of God. How do I know? Because Jesus could speak to the lame and say, take up your bed and walk. And they got up and they walked. He could say to a man with a withered hand, stretch forth your hand. And when he did, boom, it was made whole. 
he could tell a leper, be thou whole, and immediately he was made whole. Whole the centurion understood the power of the word. He had a sick little damsel. He had a sick little damsel girl and she was about to die and he come to Jesus and this is what he said to her, to Jesus. He said, Jesus, I, I got a sick daughter and I need you to heal him. He said, I will come and heal her. Oh, no, 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 no. He said, I'm a man of authority. I know what it's like to have authority. I tell a man to come and he comes. I tell a man to go and he goes. He said, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. All you got to do is speak the word and she'll be healed. And Jesus spoke and said, I will heal her. And in that same safe, same self, self hour, they come and gave him word, the damsel's healed. Why? Because the psalmist said, he sent his word and he healed them. Jesus can go up to a grave of a dead man that's been dead for four days and he stinks and tell him to roll back the stone. And when they roll back the stone, he can crawl out the words, Lazarus, come forth. And out of that grave come an old man a wobbling in great clouds because of the spoken word. Yeah. Hallelujah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How? By speaking it into existence. God said, let there be light. And there was light before the moon or the stars or the sun was ever even created. Light just appeared with the sound and the mention of his word. Later, he preached, he, he created the sun. Later, he created the, but light came at the speaking. You know what that's a revelation of? It's impossible for enlightenment not to be in the preached word. In the midst of a chaotic world that's dark, they need revelation. They need inspiration. They need instruction. Come on, they need answers. What is the answer? The Word of God. Would you stand with me this morning? My wife is on a mission get this church to read the Bible through in the month of, or in the year of 2022. She's been a word woman her whole life. She busts my bubble all the time. I'll get a revelation. I'll go, hey, Jenny, you know what the Lord showed me? I'll tell her, well, I knew that years ago. Bust my bubble. I get things confused sometimes. My mind thinks fast, and I'll interject two stories together sometimes. You've heard me do that in my messages sometimes. I have to back up that one, right? And Jenny, you know you goofed that up this morning, don't you? <laughs> some of you have called Elisha Elijah. Come on, some of you got two, sometimes two stories mixed up in your mind. You're not up here preaching all the time like I am. I put my foot in my mouth sometimes. I'm here to tell you that the more we get in the word, now listen to this, the more that God's able to confirm the word with signs and wonders and divers and miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Where there's no word, there's nothing to confirm. We're wondering though, where our miracles is at. The miracles is gone and ceased because we've ceased from studying the word. And we've ceased to proclaim the word. 
And some of us are too chicken to proclaim the word because we're afraid to offend somebody and we can't see the real miracle that can happen if we'll just trust God and preach the word the way it was written. Stand up and preach the word and let the chips fall where they may. It's not up to you to make, make anything happen. The word's got to make it happen through you preaching it and God coming down and confirming it. What happens in this service ain't, no, ain't a, a monkey tied around my back. It's up to God. I just obeyed. I preached the word. I love the word of God. It's who I am. It's my DNA. It's what makes me tick. It's what makes me go. I was talking to Brooks and Misty before the service. They were just sharing with me of some of their devotions and how they'll take the Word of God and pray it, confess it. Regardless of what kind of circumstances going on in their life, they're taking the Word, standing on that Word, declaring and decreeing that Word. got to learn how to get in the Word of God. Some of you are saying, well, I, I'm 30 years old and every time I try to read it, I just don't understand it. Then get a different version. Do what I had done when I first got saved. I went out and got a children's Bible. Started, don't be embarrassed. Start somewhere. As you begin to put forth the effort, revelation, light comes out of the Word. You can't help but be enlightened if you uh, study the Word. shut up in my bones my family gets tired of me of preaching around the house sometimes the kids will do something I'll start in and say I said, dad we don't need a sermon we just ask for your advice whatever advice I give is going to come out of the word get ready for it why have you prayed about it have you got what the word of God said about this well we didn't go what do you mean you didn't go to the word before you come to me get that word see what God says about it does he confirm it or is he not confirm? Well, I don't know. Then start studying. In the word, there's answers. How many believes that? Get in the word. Say, look at somebody and say, get in the word. Study the word. Read the word. Those of you that's wanting to be challenged by this sermon this morning, don't go get in the book of Leviticus. For heaven's sakes. Don't get in the book of Revelations. Read about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Read about the Psalms. Come on, somebody. Hear about the words of Jesus. You know what? Before you ever go anywhere, you should read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you do, you'll get an account of how everyone viewed Jesus, and it'll be repetitious over and over and over. And by the time you get done, you'll understand the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If you're here today and you need God to do something for you, you need a word and season over your life. 
And you, it's, it's, you know, it's not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about you need a miracle. I believe that by preaching the word, it's the breeding grounds for a miracle. I'm not talking about if you got a snotty nose here today. God cares about all that. We can pray about that at home. But if you need a miracle, life and death situation, maybe your home, maybe your family, I, I don't know, maybe a job, it's just about, I want you to come up here. I'm going to believe in a miracle for you today. You say, well, you didn't even preach on that. I preached the word, and in the word, signs and wonders will follow. And I'm not going to hold long. Is there anybody needing a miracle? How do I shut how many believe these families can get a miracle today? You believe it? I can almost hear the Lord say, be it according to my word, be healed, be set free, be touched, be blessed. I need my staff, I need my prayer warriors, I need my elders. I want you to come up and I want you to start laying hands on these people. And I want you to believe that God's going to give them a miracle. Ask them what it is that they need and then pray specifically for them. Today's the day. Today's the day. Might as well get our miracle today. The Word of God. Simple faith says, I'm healed. Be it according to the Word of the Lord, Misty, be healed in the name of Jesus. Cancer cannot stand the word of, against the word of God. Whose report are we going to believe? We're going to believe the report of the Lord that says we're healed. Through his stripes we are healed in the name of Jesus. Come on, Brooks. Today's your day. Today's your day. We might as well come on, pray, God. Believe, proclaim, decree. 